You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everyone. Um, if we haven't met before, my name's Tom, and I'm one of the leaders of Hope Church. And uh, I'm sitting down this morning not because I want to audition to be in a boy band, um, but because I'm not feeling too sharp. So uh, just felt it would be a little easier to sit down and, uh, and speak to you like it's a story around the fire. Um, <laughs> So we're going to be in um, 1 Samuel chapter 15 today, so if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn there. Um, But before we get to that, I just want to share with you um, some encouragement. Um, This week I went on a uh, 24-hour retreat with about 20 other uh, leaders from across New Frontiers, which is the movement we're part of. Um, It was hosted by Terry Virgo, who founded the movement, and uh, we just shared encouraging stories, really. And... uh, the reason why we call New Frontiers a movement rather than, rather than a denomination is that it is a movement. It's, it's seemingly continually growing. Terry said he doesn't know how many churches are in the movement now. Um, that's the difference between a movement and a denomination in that we were going forward, seeing churches planted. And uh, it was just a really encouraging time. I heard from one church leader in East London and uh, really is, is meeting with some very broken people in that part of the capital, and uh, one lady came to their church who had uh, a long-standing addiction problem, and she and her partner were both drug addicts, and he would um, regularly um, prostitute her out in order to feed his drug habit and uh, take the money from that, and then he would beat her afterwards, Um, just a really deprived situation. And she rocked up at their church and was astounded at the love and the, the grace people were showing her. And one Sunday, she was prayed for. She was due to have her womb removed because she was so damaged from the years of sexual abuse. And she had a lot of bruising on her body. And she was prayed for, and she felt the power of God touch her. And um, she went into the bathroom um, straight away and saw that all of her bruising was gone. And she didn't even need to have the operation in the end that was said that she needed. So that not that incredible? God just touching people in really broken, um, deprived situations. And uh, another one, another story, a couple um, who, were, who met in Dubai. Um, he was uh, a Muslim, brought up in a Muslim home. She was brought up in a Christian home. And uh, they got married, which probably wasn't the best idea in some respects. They got married. But both agreed they were going to not interfere with each other's faith. He was going to live as a Muslim. She was going to live as a Christian. And they ended up moving over to this country. And uh, she went to a prayer meeting one evening. And uh, she, uh, at the end of the meeting, he came to pick her up. And her friends at the church said, can we pray for you to this Muslim man? And uh, apparently he really wanted to say no, didn't have the guts to say it. And they prayed for him. And he fell over in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he had a vision whilst he was on the floor of all of the, th- the things that he'd ever done wrong. And then he had a vision of Jesus taking them away from him and gave his life to Jesus. And now he's being trained up. He and his wife being trained up. They are uh, planning to go uh, and plant churches in the Muslim majority world. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? God's on the move. And... Uh, uh, Terry was just sharing with us, really, that he's been praying for revival in this country for 40 or 50 years. And uh, he was just sharing how encouraged he is when he looks across many different um, movements in this nation, 
not just New Frontiers, but Vineyard and Salt and Light and Pioneer, HTB, many movements of churches now which are uh, embracing the presence of God and the Word of God, Word and Spirit churches. And he said that actually he believes that um, if revival had come 40 or 50 years ago, there were not many churches that were ready for revival. Many churches were cold and judgmental, not full of grace for broken people. And he was saying, we must keep praying for revival. This is what our country desperately needs. And he said really that uh, you know, our, our country is much more ripe for revival now because there are churches, there are new wineskins for the new wine that God's going to pour out. So we're going to keep praying for revival. And on the 13th of December, no doubt amongst the many other things that we're going to be praying for, we'll keep praying for revival, keep praying that God will move in our land. Because that's the only solution really to our nation's problems is that many, many thousands, millions of people turn back to God. Um, that's what we need to see. Amen? Brilliant. Um, one, of the, one of the slogans of New Frontiers over um, many years is that we can do more together than we can apart. We can do more as churches working together than we could as individual churches. And um, we're part of Relational Mission, which is a sphere of New Frontiers. New Frontiers is probably over 2,000 churches now worldwide. And Relational Mission is some 60 churches that we more closely relate with. And uh, over these coming weeks, Relational Mission churches are taking up an offering um, for those who are in need in different nations in the world. So next week, which is our Advent service, we're going to be a little bit more Christmassy than normal, although there will be much the same as uh, regular Sunday. We are going to be giving next week into this offering and uh, would love just to encourage you to think about how much you could give um, to these people who are in great need. As I say, many uh, churches are going to be taking part in this with us and uh, we're hopeful that many thousands of pounds will be raised for uh, for these folks. So um, maybe if you have children, this could be a, a week to think as, as well. How, uh, how can they give into this um, at Christmas time where we are encouraged to consume lots and lots of things? We can actually teach our children that it's better to give than to receive and see what God does through it. Okay, so I'm going to be, as I say, in 1 Samuel 15. and just going to read one verse this morning. Um, 1 Samuel 15 is a tricky passage. It's a tricky chapter. There's some hard concepts for us to get our heads around in there. Can I encourage you to read it when you get home and uh, work through it? Uh, maybe uh, with a friend as well. If you've got questions, you could, you could try and work through it together. It's a, tr- it's a tricky passage. I'm going to try and summarize it in a moment. But let's just read the final verse of this passage. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So if you recall, over the the previous weeks, we've seen how Saul was raised up as king of Israel. Uh, The people of Israel had asked God for a king. God was seemingly quite reluctant in giving them this king, warned them that it was not going to go well for them. But Saul became king nonetheless. He made quite a good start. He was a humble man. He uh, was someone who wanted to obey his his own dad. Uh, He had some success in military uh, in, the ba- in the battles that he faced, and uh, things were seemingly going well. But then over the last few weeks, we've seen that cracks started to appear for Saul. In chapter 13, the armies of the Philistines are encroaching upon the army of Israel, and uh, Saul wants to um, make a sacrifice to God to really uh, ask God for his help in the battle. 
And uh, he has to wait for Samuel, who's the priest, um, because Samuel was the only one who was uh, qualified to make the sacrifice. But he doesn't wait for him. Uh, He gets impatient. Uh, He makes the sacrifice before Samuel gets there. And in chapter 13, you see Samuel really uh, taking Saul to task on that and saying, this is going to lead to your downfall. There's going to come a time when you're no longer king of this nation because you didn't wait. We see really that uh, there was a lack of trust in God on Saul's part there. When we try and make things happen for ourselves, when we go against God's ways, it's often that we don't believe that his ways are best. We actually think, well, I've got to try and make it happen here because I can't, God can't be trusted. So we see the cracks are starting to appear. In, in chapter 14, which we covered last week, Jonathan and his armor bearer had won an incredible victory against all the odds. And then uh, the, the Philistine army, they're on the run. And so Saul rises up and says, right, we're going to take these Philistines down. No one in the whole of the army is allowed to eat for the rest of the day until this army is dealt with, until we've driven the Philistines away. But what he doesn't realize is that Jonathan is quite deservedly having, having a meal uh, after his amazing victory and eats some honey. And so Saul's suddenly got this conundrum, what am I going to do uh, with my son? And he's about to, to, to basically kill his son um, because he said, if you, if you break this... Uh, decree if you don't if you eat food when i've decreed that you shouldn't then whoever does that should be put to death so the people they intercede for uh for 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 jonathan they say no you can't you can't kill jonathan he's won a famous he's won an amazing victory uh for our nation but we see here saul's making sort of rash judgment he's he's making rash vows that he knows that he can't uh follow through on and then uh in this passage in chapter 15 um god had commanded Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were a long-term enemy of the Israelites. They had terrorized them for some time. They had some really abhorrent practices in their culture. They were really doing some awful stuff. And God says, I want you to wipe them out. Don't, don't leave anything left. And uh, Saul actually obeys, but not totally. He saves the king, Agag, and he saves the cattle, sheep, cows, and uh, seemingly saves them for himself. Seemingly actually almost saying, well, God can't see this bit. He can't see this bit. I'm, I'm saving some stuff back. So what happens in this chapter is God sends Samuel, who's uh, a priest and a bit of a prophet. He is from God. He sends Samuel to go and uh, give Saul a bit of a dressing down. And that's really what happens uh, in this passage, and we're going we're gonna to see a little bit of it as we work through it. And we see right at the end, as we've just read together, that God regretted making Saul king over Israel. How, how does that work? We've got this God who knows all things, he sees all, th- all things, and uh, makes wise judgments. The Bible says his, his, uh, his foolishness is greater than the, the world's wisdom. He doesn't make wrong choices, and yet... It says that God regretted making Saul king over Israel. I don't believe that's God saying, what was I thinking? I don't believe it's God suddenly backtracking, thinking I've made a mistake here. I believe it's that he really is regretting the actions of Saul. He's sorrowful over Saul's actions. He's really, uh, it's it's causing him pain to see the things that Saul is doing, the the way in which he's neglecting God and not obeying him fully. So it started well for Saul. Uh, It was looking quite good, and then through many different actions, and as we're going to see today, he threw it all away. It started so strongly 
But then we've got God saying, I regret making him king over Israel. What went wrong? Well, we're going to look at four ways to ruin your life this morning. Four ways to ruin your life. doesn't sound like a very chirpy title, but we're coming up to Christmas, and we're not back in this series until uh, sometime in January. So I thought, well, let's make it a little bit more serious. Four ways to ruin your life. Number one is this. Obey God on your terms. As I said, Saul mostly obeys God in this mission, but he holds some things back. And Samuel comes to him and says, you've obeyed God, have you? Saul says, yes. And then Samuel says, well, what's this I hear? I can hear some cattle. Have you really fully obeyed God? Have you really obeyed him to all that he said you had to do? If you want to ruin your life, then only obey God as far as you understand. Only obey God as, as long as it suits you. Only obey God as far as you look good in it. If you want to ruin your life, don't obey God fully. Conversely, though, if you want to know life in all its fullness, which is what God promises as we put him first, then when God commands us to do something, let's be those that do it. Even when we don't understand, even when it's hard, even when it's seemingly easier not to do it, even when it's seemingly easy to duck out of it. We obey God even when we don't understand. We've got to consider that God has what is best for us. We've got to consider that God is wise. He's much wiser than us. We can barely see around the corner. Well, God sees all things. He, he has a, different, a totally different perspective on our lives than we do. And so when we read things in his word that command us to do something, and we think, you know what, I think the better route for my life would be this. I, I think maybe if I just obeyed partially that, but actually uh, you know, continued in some ways that don't really honor God, I think it would be better for me. It might be that uh, you have segmented your life up into different sections. So Sunday is a day that I give to God, and the rest of my week, well, that's mine. Or, or, or maybe, you know, maybe I give 10% of my income to God, so I sort of give God a bit of a tip, but the rest of it, well, it's mine to do uh, with it as I please. Really, it's my money. It's not really God's. Or maybe there's certain relationships where you say, well, in those relationships, I'm going to honor God in my speech and in my conduct. But in those relationships, God doesn't really see those. He, he, he doesn't really have much interest in those relationships. So I, I, I'm going to go and do what I want to in those relationships. Now, God sees it all. He sees it all. I think, Saul didn't, I think Saul didn't consider that God saw that he saved the cattle. I mean, you might think that sounds really pernickety of God. It sounds really fussy. In fact, surely it would be, it's a better thing to save life rather than take it. Well, yeah, we're not commanded to kill anyone. Okay, Just so you know, if you've come to this church for the first time, uh, this is, we, you know, we explained last week, we, we, these are not, this is not for us. This battle is not for us. But in this instance, God has given Saul a very specific command. And he's not obeyed fully. He's only obeyed as fully as he understood. He didn't really take God's words seriously. So if you want to ruin your life, then don't give it all to God. But if you really want to know true life, then trust God with it all. Trust that he knows what's best for you. Trust that he has your good in his heart. God really does have your good in his heart. Uh, we see again and again, God is relentlessly committed to doing good to us. He, he, you know, we see in the Psalms that surely goodness 
and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. God is, is committed to doing us good. And so when he commands something in his word, we have to trust that he has what's best for us in mind. If he's really clearly spoken to you about something else, perhaps through prophecy, maybe you know just some, several things have confirmed to you, I know I need to go and do this, I need to go into that area of work, or I need to go to that uh, particular neighborhood, or I need to go to that nation. Well, obey even if you don't understand. Take God seriously. Don't just give him part of your life, but leave the rest. Well, the rest is mine, and I'm going to do, do the best job I can. No, give God everything. Give it all over to him. He's a good father. Secondly, if you want to ruin your life, find excuses for your own wrongdoing. That's what Saul does in this passage again and again. In verse 9, it's very clear that Saul was the one who decided to save the king, King Agag, and to spare the cattle. It's very clear. However, when he's challenged on it, in verses 15 and 21, he's shifting the blame. He's saying, no, it's the soldiers. The soldiers made me do it. The soldiers said that we should save the cattle. The soldiers said we should save King Agag. He's very quick to shift the blame. He's very quick to not look uh, wrongdoing in, in, in the face and say, okay, it was my fault. We can do that so often, can't we? We can do it in one of two ways, I'd suggest. Firstly, as Saul has, we can blame others. Well, if you only knew the way she speaks to me, you would understand what I, why I did that. If you only uh, saw how he treats me in the workplace, well, you'd understand why I snapped like that. Or, you know, I, I only backstabbed my boss because someone else raised it, and, I, you know, I wouldn't have raised it myself. It's their fault, really. We can, we can do that. We can, we can blame other people. Or we can justify our actions by comparing ourselves to others. We can say, well, I'm not as bad as him. I mean, he's, he gets so angry. Man, he smashes things when he gets angry. Well, I, I just kind of... You know, I, I just want to raise my voice a little bit. Well, you know, he, he, he's really promiscuous. He sleeps around a lot. I mean, I've only, you know, I've only been a little bit uh, naughty in that regard. Not as bad as him. We can compare ourselves to others and we can say, well, I'm not as bad as them. And that can sometimes be used as a way of justifying our actions. But God, he, he wants us to own our wrongdoing. To say, no, regardless of the circumstance, I did wrong. There may have been other factors at play here, but they're not excusing my sin. There are reasons, perhaps, why I acted a certain way, but at the end of the day, I chose to act that way. I took that course of action. And sometimes we can, we can uh, try and point people's attention or even seemingly try and point God's attention to other people or other situations in order to try and relieve ourselves of some guilt. But God wants us to own our wrongdoing. That's uh, what we do right at the start of our walk with God, don't we? We repent. We say, I know I've done some things wrong. I know that I've been walking in the wrong direction. And we turn away from those things. And we trust in God. We trust in his offer of forgiveness. We trust in his, uh, all that he's done for us through Jesus' death and resurrection. But that is actually the pattern of the Christian life. It's not just one thing that we do uh, once, just at the moment when we, we we see what Jesus has done for us. No, we, we're regularly turning, a, we, we own our wrongdoing and we turn away from it and we say, no, I'm going to trust that God has better for me. I'm gonna, repentance and faith is a, a thing that is a recurring thing in our lives as Christians. I'm going to turn away from what I know to be wrong. I'm going to own it and say, well, 
even though there was other factors at play here, I, I took that course of action. It was my wrongdoing. I spoke to that person in that way, and I, I shouldn't have done that. I looked at that image, and I shouldn't have done that. I, I, whatever it might be, we have to own it and know, it's, I, I've done wrong here, and now I'm going to turn away from it, so I know that to be wrong, and God, I trust you've got better. I trust that your ways are better. I trust that you've got forgiveness for me. We, we, we can so often think, well, I, I had no choice in it. Well, God's word is, is really clear. We have a way out. We have a way out. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So temptation that we face, temptation whether that might be sexual temptation, might be temptation to be proud, it might be temptation to get uh, angry, temptation in many, many different ways. Everyone faces it. So we're not this kind of special case. Sometimes you might think, I am really a special case. Okay, no one else faces this like I do. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But he goes on to say this, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So he will not let us be tempted beyond our ability, beyond that which we can bear. He will not allow that. So we have always got a way out. God is always giving us a way out of wrongdoing. He gives us a way out. I've known that to be true in my life. And there's been occasions where I've known there's a way out and I've gone there. We all get it wrong. But the question is this, are we going to own up to it and say, God, I know I've done wrong here. It, it, I, we're not going to point to other people and say, well, I only did it because she's been really harsh to me recently. Or I only did that because you should have you seen the way he spoke to me. No, we, we, look, we look our wrongdoing in the eye and say, I, I, there was a way out for me and I chose to do it. And I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from that wrongdoing and trust in God. So if you want to ruin your life, find excuses for your own actions. But if you want to thrive in life, look your wrongdoing in the eye. Say, I know I did this wrong. And now I trust in Jesus that he can forgive me for my wrongdoing. Put it to death. Say, I'm no longer going to go there. I count myself dead to sin. I'm new in Christ. I have a new identity now. I don't have to go there. Number three, if you want to ruin your life, sideline God's voice. Saul didn't listen to God. A great way to go off track is to sideline God's word, is to sideline his book. We spoke about in, earlier in this series when Tim uh, covered hearing from God, that actually God speaks to us in many ways. He'll speak to us through prophecy, through dreams and visions. Sometimes people will have just an impression in their mind and God will give them give them an interpretation of that. God can encourage us through many means, but the main means in which he does it is through his word. This book contains all the words of God for the whole of human history at this time. All the words we need. And if you want to ruin your life, if you want to go off track like Saul did, then sideline this book. But if you want to stay on track, if you want to fulfill all that God has called, called you to do, then make sure that you are regularly 
regularly exposed to his word. Make sure that you're, you're, you're allowing this to affect you. You, you might think, I, I've tried reading the Bible before and nothing happened. Friends, I believe that this word is living and active. It says of itself, the Bible is, is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Now, with two-edged swords, you don't play around with them, do you? You don't think, oh, this isn't, this isn't going to affect me at all. This isn't going to harm me. I, I can just play around with this thing. No, you, you know that if you play around with a two-edged sword, it's going to cut you. It's going to cause some problems for you. This is what God's word is going to challenge us in some ways. It's going to uh, cut us in some good ways. Through it, often God will do surgery on us. Through it, often God will, will highlight some things to us that are not healthy in our lives. Through it, God will, will show us some ways in which we need to trust him more. And you might think, well, where do I start with this? Because I've tried reading some of the Old Testament, and it's downright wacky. <laughs> well, we're trying to, even in this series, show you that God, all of it is his word. We're reading through a book, First Samuel, which is, and there's sometimes some challenging stuff in it. But we're trying to show you as we go through this that all of God's word is profitable for us. But it's probably advisable for you to start somewhere a little bit more simple. It's probably advisable for you to start in one of the Gospels, which is uh, the biographies of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, are the, those, the names of those books. Start there. Maybe start also in, in one of the letters, the, the New Testament letters, like Philippians or Galatians. Or, uh, there's some great stuff in there. And don't, don't overstretch yourself. Don't think, right, I'm going to read this thing in a year. Because you know what? Most people that I know who try and read the Bible in a year have failed by about week two. Don't, you don't need to overstretch yourself. Why don't you take a chapter a day? It might take you five minutes to read it. Take a chapter a day and say, God, would you speak to me through this as I'm in your word? Simple as that. It might be that you think you can do more than that. It might be that you think, I can't really read very well. Well, you can get audible Bibles. You can get apps on your phone, and you can listen to... I mean, some of these New Testament letters, you can listen to the whole thing in 20 minutes, which is perfect for a walk to work or a drive to work or whatever. Listen to God's Word. You can just allow it to infiltrate your mind and your life, because it will change you. It will change you. It will bring challenge to you. It will, it will as a double-edged sword, it will sometimes be painful. But God wants to... He wants to work through his word and allow it to, to shape you. Saul didn't do that. He didn't listen to God's voice. He had sidelined the voice of God and had allowed other voices to come in. That's what happens when we sideline God's word. We allow other voices to become louder than God's voice. It might be voices of the culture that are generally things like materialism, you need to have more stuff. Or uh, real kind of liberal thinking of, you know, just embrace who you are. And just be who you want to be. As long as you're happy and you're not hurting anyone, do what you like. That is, tends to be the philosophy of our culture. But God really wants his voice to drown out the other voices in the world. We, we might be facing other voices, our friends, who have different views to God's. He wants us to be allowing his word to, to really shape us and change us. So if you want to ruin your life, sideline his word. It will lead to you being disorientated and you'll eventually get lost. But if you want to thrive in life, then make God's word central. 
Find ways to get away from distraction. There's so many things that can distract us, aren't there? Even if we're really, really busy people, there's always time to give God's word serious time just to infiltrate our lives. There's always time, even if we're busy. But we can get so distracted by other things. Finally, if you want to ruin your life, fear man and not God. Fear man and not God. When we're, when we're not in God's word, when we're not really listening to his voice, then we will find ourselves wanting to be people pleasers. When we're not in his word and, and seeing that really it's God's opinion that counts most, it will lead to us being people pleasers. It will lead to us uh, doing all kinds of things, whether it might be in some ways compromising on some things that we know God has been really clear about, in order to please others. If we're not in his word, then we'll seek to please others more than we'll seek to please God. If we're not in his word, then other people's opinions will, will loom very, very large on, on the horizon of our minds, and we'll think, I have to be liked by that person. I will do anything I can to be liked by that person. I, 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 stuff what God has to say, as long as they like me, I'm happy. You know, when we're in God's word, we learn that actually it's God who is to be feared. How does that work? Because we've been singing this morning about God's great love for us. Well, there's a paradox in the Bible, which is when two things that seemingly oppose each other are both true. And the paradox is this. God is holy and to be feared. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. And yet, we can approach him with confidence because of what Jesus has done for us. What does it mean to fear God in light of what Jesus has done for us? It means that we, we see that it's God's opinion that counts most, that he is... You know, if we didn't know Jesus, then we would really have great reason to fear. If we, you know, we would be trembling because of the judgment coming to us. So we have reverence for God and his holiness, and yet at the same time we trust in what Jesus has done for us, and that gives us confidence before God as our Father. God wants us to have that kind of fear of him. And so it's as we fear God, we see that his, it's his opinion that counts most. The fear of man will drift away. And as we're in his word, we'll see uh, verses like Proverbs 29, which says the fear of man is a dangerous snare. If you want to ruin your life, then make your life all about what other people think of you. It's a dangerous snare. It will lead to all kinds of destruction in your life. We'll read verses like Hebrews 13. says this, Keep your life free, free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we realize, actually, God's with me. So I don't need to fear what other people think of me. It's as we're in the word and exposing ourselves to God's word that we'll realize that it's, it really is that we're living before an audience of one. We're living before God. We're not living to try and please others. We're not living to, to make others like us and applaud us. It's okay to want to be liked, all right? If you, if you are going about trying to uh, be as unpopular as you can be, then that's what will happen to you. You will be an unpopular person. It's okay to want to be liked. That's not a problem. But where, where does that rank in comparison to I want to honor God? Okay, that's when we're talking about fear of man. It's, it's when your desire to be liked trumps 
God's command. And that's what happened to Saul. Saul, he feared what the soldiers would say. He feared what they would say. He feared what they would do if he didn't spare the cattle. And you might think this is, so, this is such a pernickety thing of God to pick up on why Saul spared the cattle. God wants to know when it comes to obeying him, is that more important to us than having people standing by and saying, you're great, you're amazing, I love you. What, which voice is strongest in our lives? Which voice is strongest in our lives? So if you know this to be true of you, I, you, know, you know, I fear man more than I fear God. Well, confess it to God. Come to God and say, I, as I said a moment ago, own up to it. Say, God, I know that I have placed other people's opinion higher than your opinion in my mind. Confess it. Question it. Question it. Ask what's at the root of it all. Ask what is at the root of it all. Do you really believe that God's love is enough for you? Do you really believe that he is pleased with you? Do you really believe that he loves you? Do you really believe that he's delighted in you? If you don't believe that, then you're going to try and find delight from other people. So question it. What's at the root of it? And then confront it with the truth. Confront it with the truth of God's word. You know, we've been singing this morning about God's love. Uh, it's so good when the worship leaders here pick songs, and I haven't, I haven't talked to them about it. I haven't said, you know, can we sing songs about God's love? That hasn't happened. But, you know, we've had, we've had a couple of songs where we just, we've just basked in God's love together, haven't we? And it's so important that we, we remind ourselves of the truth, that God doesn't just accept us. You know, we celebrate, we celebrate this theology of God taking our sin and, and giving us his righteousness. We celebrate that. It's such a core theology for us. But, you know, sometimes we can think, well, now I'm acceptable to God. Good, I'm acceptable to God. It's far more than that. He really, really beckons us to him. He really, really loves it when we come to him. He delights in us. He delights in you. He delights in you. He loves you. He really wants you to come to him. You're not an inconvenience to him. Many times, my children want me to do something, and I think, I'm a bit tired right now. Can you just, we'll do that later, shall we? It's not like that with God. We're, not, we're never an inconvenience to God. He really loves you. He really loves you. And that, friends, that changes everything for us. It changes everything for us because we're not running around trying to please others to try and get their acceptance because we take to our hearts that God loves us. And that's not going to change. So I want, to, I want to appeal to us this morning. Let's not be like Saul. Let's not allow other voices to drown out the voice of God. Let's not sideline his word. Let's obey. Let's obey him even when we think, I don't even know how I'm going to go through with that. I don't even know how I'm going to end that relationship which I know is not godly. Or I don't know how I'm going to sort out that issue in my life which I know is not pleasing to God. I don't even, it's, going to, it's going to be painful to do it. Let's be those that take God seriously. Saul, it all went wrong for him. We're going to see in the new year, David, the, the, the man that God raised up, who went after God's heart. 
Let's not be like Saul. Let's not come to the end of our lives and regret. Let's take God seriously. Let's, let's deal with some things. Let's root some things out in our lives. Let's own up to wrongdoing. Let's, let's stop forever um, pointing to other people and saying, well, if they had behaved differently, then I wouldn't have done it. Let's own when we've gone wrong. Let's get free from some stuff. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.